Welcome to the Cherry Hills Church Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Origin Story, studying the book of Genesis as the foundation of the whole story of the gospel. Thanks for joining us as we learn who God has always been and who we are as part of his story. This is Lucas Jones. He's a sophomore in high school, one of our students, and we've asked him to read the text for today. One of the reasons that we have you stand in the in many traditions down through the church is that they often stood for the reading of God's word to show respect and reverence for what he has to say. So that's what we're doing. Let's listen to what God says. And when he finishes, he's going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And we can say, thanks be to God. Okay, go ahead. A reading from Genesis chapter one. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Now, this is an easy one. This is the very first page of the Bible, or maybe the second, depending on how your Bible has it. But we're going to look at verses 26 and 27 of Genesis 1. Last week, Brian helped us get an overview of Genesis chapter 1, and it was very, very helpful. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the message, it's really, really powerful. And aren't, we, aren't you thankful for the teachers we have here? I am just so grateful. So, so today we are continuing uh, our series called Origin Story. And if you're just catching up with us, here is the sentence that we've been reading each week, just to remind ourselves why we're studying Genesis 1 through 11 right now. Let's read it together. Genesis is the origin story of who God is and who we are. And so today we're going to look at verse 26 and 27 that Lucas just read. And as we look at it, um, the, real, the whole goal of the message today is to answer this first question that you find there in the notes. What's it mean to be created in God's image and likeness? What does it mean? We need to unpack that together. And uh, I want to talk to you about that. And as I thought about answering this, I had a whole message designed that would have been really, you would have liked it. But I didn't sense it was the one I'm supposed to give. I I sensed that in order to answer that question, you have to answer it three different ways. You see, the image of God in creation is different than the image of God at the fall. The image of God at redemption is different as well. And so what does it look like? What, what was God's overall design and plan for us and the world? And we're digging at that in this series called The Origin Story. So let me, let me start by, if you've noticed here in that first gray box, I basically just put a simple, straightforward, the Bible's worldview and storyline. How is God working and how has he been working in the world? And if you notice, it's the creation, that is God's plan, the fall, that's our problem, and then redemption and restoration is God's solution to our problem. 
Now, the reason I bring this up is because sometimes when we're telling God's story, when we're sharing the good news of God's story with people, we don't start at creation. We start at the fall. So many people have heard this presentation of salvation or the gospel message. You're a sinner. That, of course, always warms people's hearts. But the other problem with it is this. I can't understand what it means to be a sinner if I don't understand what I was originally meant to be. And so it's important to go all the way back and understand that we need to know God's origin story for what we were originally intended to be and to understand what God is still committed to helping us be. But unless we understand that big picture, we will not be able to understand the words of Genesis 1, 26 and 27 properly. So would you mind, I'm just going to say a prayer and then we're going to unpack. What does it mean that every human being has been created in the image and likeness of God? Let's pray. God, I'm conscious that even after the last service, I am so dependent upon you. You are my very life and everything I have comes from you. I pray that I can serve your purpose and that as a result of serving you, Uh, you can bless other people the way you want to for Jesus sake. And everyone agreed and said, amen. Okay. So um, if you look at the second gray box, I'm going to have you read that in just a second. But first, let me just remind you what verse 26 says. It says, and God said, let us make humans, mankind in our image, male and female. It's out loud there. So God created human beings in his own image, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now notice that the image of God is both male and female there, his likeness. And so as we think about this, what was God originally thinking? Now, first, we got to just deal with the problem of verse 26 has third person plural and verse 27 has third person singular. What's going on there? There's two possible explanations that many people have come to. Last week, Brian reminded us that before this earth, this this planet was ever designed, there was an unseen realm that existed beforehand. We don't completely understand all about it, but it's hinted at in different places in the Bible, like the book of Job and other places. But along with that, whenever we study passages like this, we need to be careful not to read into a text, but understand what the original author, Moses, and the original audience would have understood by these words. And then we can look at perhaps what else it might mean. First, we know that in several places in the Bible, there is what's called the heavenly council or the divine uh, you know, uh, court. And that means that some believe when God said, let us, he was announcing what he was about to do to the heavenly court. The heavenly court was not going to do any of the creating They were just going to be watching, but he was basically saying, this is what I'm going to do. And then he did it. We have the benefit, by the way, if you ever want to read an interesting explanation of all this, Michael Heiser has written a book called An Unseen Realm. It's one you have to like buckle your seatbelts on and hang in there, but it is incredible all the places that it talks more about this. But we know now because we live in the New Testament is that this is very clearly referring also to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, working together perfectly to create. Places like Colossians show us that Jesus was involved. 
Genesis 1-2 shows the spirit was involved. God the Father, we know, is the Father, the Creator. And so just notice that we have the benefit. And I will just say this to you. As Christians, we do interpret the Old Testament through the New Testament. In other words, the reason why we don't still not eat pork or sacrifice or do ceremonial things like that is because when Jesus came along, those things went away. His moral law continued. So whatever the New Testament continues, we continue in practice. We benefit greatly from the Old Testament. I'm just saying we interpret it carefully that way. Does it make sense? And so as we think about this, let us, then it says God did this. God did this. Now, what happened? What, what is the image and likeness of God mean? What is it? How are we supposed to apply this? So if you're following along, notice this means that every human being is worthy of dignity and respect. Every human being is worthy of dignity and respect. Notice that I've listed out to the right, James 3, 9 and 10. Jesus' brother James wrote these words. And again, as we read them, think about what it means about how we treat other people and even think about ourselves. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Why does he want us to be careful about cursing or speaking down to and being derogatory towards human beings? Because they're made in God's likeness. And when we treat people like that, we disrespect God. Friends, this is also why people are conscious of the unborn. That if you believe in just evolution or other things, you have to admit you base everything on what a person's capacities are. Therefore, people have said, well, the unborn don't have any capacities yet. Therefore, they must not have worth and value enough. And therefore, we can do what we want. No, friends, even at conception, the image and likeness of God is evident. But also, what if a person becomes elderly or what happens if they have physical or mental challenges or no longer can even think straight? Is the image of God still there? The Bible says yes. Friends, if we were to open people's chest cavity, you wouldn't be able to visibly see these words, but they could very well be there. Lovingly created by God, for God, to do all of life with God. This is what, in part, it means that God, as my mom used to have in a little sign in her laundry room, God, don't make no junk. Now, some of you here, you were told that you weren't wanted. Some of you were born out of wedlock. Some of you have been told all your life that people wish you'd never been born. I just want to tell you the good news. God made you. You're made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, you have intrinsic value, whether you do anything great or not. You matter. But notice this, that sometimes uh, we don't always believe that. So King David, as he's writing Psalm 139, wrote these very precious words. And I'll just read them to you. It says, for you created my inmost being. You did it, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I this is one of my favorite lines. You mind reading it with me? I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Would you just say this out loud? I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God has skills, friends. 
Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Wow. He says, God, wow, you did a good job. And every once in a while, I know we hear a different voice, a critical voice that says otherwise, but you need to hear God's voice. And so sometimes I've just been actually, I was journaling that this week. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, God. I don't care what whispering voices I hear. It's true. You created me and you do good work. Praise your name. But notice it goes on. And uh, by the way, I love C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has something to say about this that's fascinating. In the weight of glory, he said these words. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Isn't that interesting? So when you and I are standing in front of somebody, we just need to remember this truth. This person was created in the image and likeness of God. And the way that I look at them shows whether or not I respect their maker, God himself. So notice it also means this. God formed us for rich relationship with him and others. God formed us for rich relationship with him and others. Now, we're going to go into way more detail in this in the next couple of weeks. But just know that we were made for community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are crazy about each other. And they decided, not because they were lonely, but they decided to create us. And they wanted us to know that same community. And they put that kind of community and need for community inside you and me. Therefore, we long to be known and seen and heard as well as to know and see and hear other people richly. God made us in love to be loving and to know loving community. And that's why he said, it is not good for man to be alone. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but he has Adam name all the animals first before he creates Eve so that he knew that a hippopotamus just wouldn't do for Adam. He needed community, human community. All right. But notice this also that the word image helps us here. Image, if you're following along, God made us to be his visible representatives on earth. Brian touched on this last week, but the word image literally means something cut from an object. In our modern uh, vernacular, we sometimes say they're cut from the same cloth. I remember when I was a little boy out in Iowa, my dad was a pastor there. And as I was walking through the lobby, I overheard a couple ladies go, he looks just like his father. Then Trish and I had Jeremy, our firstborn, and people started saying, he's a little Gary. There's something about that, but there's a representative. And so a king, oftentimes to show his sovereignty, would have a statue made that would be a symbol of his sovereignty in this place. So sometimes the first hearers understood that when they said image or likeness, they said, oh, when God wanted to show his sovereignty in the world, instead of a statue, immovable, inanimate, he made human beings to walk around and say, these are representatives of my sovereignty. And the word representative also here can mean reflection. In other words, we're not God. We have some likeness. We have some similarity, but we're not God. We simply reflect. We're not the sun. We're the moon. 
But when you understand that a mirror, if we're a mirror, this is my wife's mirror, by the way. If we're a mirror, that means that, and again, the, the mirror is us. I'm just, I'm acting like God for a second. Please know I'm not God. But a mirror, a mirror, when it serves its purpose, it does it by making sure it's facing towards its creator. Therefore, other people, when they look at that mirror, they go, I see what the creator looks like more by looking at that mirror. And so that is so important that we reflect. And again, you and I can be facing the mirror and it can still, other people can still see that reflection. I'll come back to that. But notice one more thing is that God created us to work with him and carry out his loving rule. God created us to work with him and carry out his loving rule. Now, notice this, that God gave Adam, before there was any problems in the world, God gave Adam work to do, meaningful work to do. And eventually he and Eve did it together, but he placed him in a garden. By the way, this wasn't a 12 by 12. This was unimaginable. Last year, you allowed me to go and visit our global mission partners, the Ashworths in Amsterdam. And I was able to go with them, Trish and I were outside Amsterdam, to a garden called Kuchenhof. And if you've never been there, 7 million tulips. They plant 7 million bulbs every year. And I remember walking in and said, this, this gives me more of an imagination of what it might have been like for Adam to be given the responsibility to cultivate this beauty, except no weeds. But then also he had him name the animals. And this is an amazing phrase. When he named the animals, it says, whatever name Adam gave, that was their name. God didn't go, "Mm, I don't think so. He just goes, look, I'm entrusting you. I want you to work with me, partner with me here in this planet to create flourishing, to cultivate richness. Join me. This was all about what it meant to be made in the image and likeness of God. Pretty cool, huh? This was creation. This is our origin story. But it's not the end of the story, unfortunately. The Bible says, is that by chapter three, and we'll study this in more detail in May. By chapter three, there was what we often call the fall. Adam and Eve been walking with God in the cool of the day. No sin. The Bible says they were naked and unashamed, which didn't just mean they weren't wearing clothes. It meant that there was nothing, no secrets. There was an intimacy. They were completely able to be themselves as God made them. And then someone, the serpent, the evil one, comes along and starts whispering. And starts whispering, hey, there's another way to live. Why don't you notice this fruit over here on the one tree God said not to eat from? Because on the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, I know there's lots of other trees, but you don't want to pay attention to those. You want to pay attention to this one. And when they ate from the fruit, the Bible says the consequences were cataclysmic and they're still rippling. If you're following along, notice that God's image at that moment was infected and corrupted, but not destroyed. God's image was infected and corrupted, but not destroyed. Every part of human personality was affected. 
It means that there's something now, all of a sudden, the, the, the great purposes, the great ideas that God had in mind got affected and got hindered, got twisted. And this is so powerful. People say, well, hey, they didn't die. They didn't drop dead. Oh, but something died, friends. Something between them and God died. Something between even themselves and themselves died. But notice if you're following along that sin separated and alienated us from God and others. Still does. Sin separated and alienated us from God and others. What's sin? Sin is human beings playing God of their own lives. Sin compounded is human beings playing God of other people's lives. Sin turns us in on ourselves, not outward towards God. And it gets us all of a sudden focusing in a different direction. If I could use this mirror again, what happens is, is that what Adam and Eve did and what you and I have done since is that instead of letting our mirror be facing towards God, we turned away. And now when we turn away from God, we've got to figure out where to find our worth and value because that affects the image of God. And some of us, now I'm going to be Jeff now, not God. Some of us suddenly put our mirror this way and we become absolutely obsessed with ourselves. In fact, self-expression has exploded in our world like never before because people are so empty. They've got to figure out a way to validate themselves because they've gotten away from the image of God, which is enough. This can happen. I really appreciate the words of uh, Robert Kaufman. Richard, uh, he said these words, Richard Kaufman, excuse me. He says this, as a result of the fall, the way we carry out the rule of God has gone haywire. Instead of our passion being love of God, now our passion is love of self. Our purpose has also become twisted. Instead of our purpose being to show forth God's glory and bring him honor and praise, now our purpose is to promote our own representation. Instead of self-giving to serve others, we get caught up in the strategies of self-promoting and self-protecting. So the image of God has been terminally infected, but it has not been completely destroyed. You and I are still the image of God, tarnished, twisted, and stained, but still the image of God. As a result, at times we have a sense that we were meant for something more. We were meant to be something different. The fact is, we were. There are still traces of the original glory. People can be wonderful. People can be amazingly kind, generous, beautifully creative, and compassionate. And yet we are also capable of such evil, such evil thoughts, such evil deeds. How can you explain it? The only thing that can explain it is the biblical account that man is created in God's image, but fallen. Um, one of the ways we know the image of God was not completely destroyed is by reading Genesis 9, verse 6. You remember the fall happened in Genesis 3, and then in chapters 5 and 6, the flood. But in Genesis 9, 6, God says these words. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands, for God made human beings in his own image. The reason why murder is so wrong is because it's a sin against God and not just a sin against that human being. God says, do not mess with my image in people carelessly. 
you need to know the image of God is still intact. But I guess if I'm using the mirror, I would say that now that image is turned away from God and even picture it cracked. It's not the mirror it was meant to be. It's not the image. It's not the likeness. Something serious has happened and you and I cannot turn it around on our own. And so as we think about this, there's one more thing. Notice he kind of mentioned it, Richard did. Sin twisted how we represent God and carry out his rule. Sin twisted how we represent God and carry out his rule. If you're wondering, like, look here at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. You'll see some of the effects of sin. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in all those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so we were cut off. Titus 3.3 says the same thing. Ephesians 2.12 says this. Oh, you got it ready. Okay. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This was the image of God after the fall. And Ephesians 2.12 says this. Remember, at one time, you were separate from Christ without hope and without God in the world. Friends, I, I don't know if you've seen your fallenness, but by the time I was 15, I had enough empirical evidence to know when the Bible called me a sinner, it wasn't name calling. It was a fact. Something was twisted and distorted and I could not deny it for all the good things I might do. I realized that even the good things I did were coming from a selfish motive to somehow get people to like me or to control people. I noticed that I use people and probably one of the more humbling things I, I've remembered this week is that when I was in junior high, there was a man, a young guy in my class named Mike and my buddy and I for about two blocks kicked him in the backside and called him names all the way to his house. I came to know Christ a couple of years later and the Lord brought that back to mind and I knew I needed to go to Mike. And so I went to Mike and I said, Mike, I, I, don't, I know I can't undo the damage I did to you that day. And I don't know if you could ever forgive me, but I do see you differently now. I see your worth. I see your value. And I just need to tell you, I was really wrong and I should have never treated you that way. Jesus would never have treated you that way. Trish and I, by the way, to this day, when we mess up, we sometimes say that, would you forgive me? Jesus would not have said that to you. Jesus would not have treated you that way. Mike was polite, but I knew that I had done something very severe to this guy. And so I, I knew when the Bible said the fall is real, I saw all kinds of evidence. Now, if we just stop there, where's the hope? Where's the hope for Mike? Where's the hope for me? Where's the hope, right? But that's not the end of the storyline. It gets good. It gets really good. And if you're following along, we come to redemption and restoration. Here's the good news. Even though our image is marred, even though our image has been corrupted, twisted, broken, there is someone whose image is perfect 
as a human being, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, if you didn't know, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is God's image and all Adam was originally and more. In other words, God didn't just redeem the the ruined image in Adam, but he sent Jesus, who is the image of God, the exact representation of his being, if Hebrews 1, 3 says. His image is also mentioned in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and other places. But here's what the good news, look at Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It shows kind of what I mean. The son is the image of the invisible God. Who is Jesus? The image of the invisible God in human form. The firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were what, friends? Is he just a human being? No, he's God in human flesh. He didn't just have the image of God perfectly. He created people with the image of God. And notice it says, for in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's more than Adam. He created Adam. And if he has the image of God in him and he's come to earth, then there is good news for us, friends. It means the image can be restored in you and I. Some of you know, I love the Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And I cannot do better than Aslan landing in Narnia and the place where it was always winter, never Christmas. The snow begins to melt. And now there are patches of green and people go, what's happening? What's happening? Aslan has landed. Friends, Jesus has landed on our planet. And he has come, if you're following along, to redeem, to restore God's image in us. Jesus Christ has come to restore God's image in us. Tim Keller summarizes the gospel this way. The gospel, the good news of God, is that Jesus Christ came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died. Here's the gospel, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Do you mind reading that verse with me in that third gray box? Let's read this together. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So how does this begin to apply? How do we do this? Friends, the Bible is telling us that everything revolves around Jesus. If your mirror, if my mirror is pointing anywhere else, the image of God will never be restored in us. There's no one else that can do it. Jesus already became the perfect image of God. And he's also the one that can create and restore that new image in you and I again. So where's our focus? 2 Corinthians 3.18 talks about where we gaze, what we put our attention on. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, gaze upon the Lord's glory are being transformed into the image. Notice that word? Into whose image? His image. With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. Friends, here's what God did. God sent Jesus who accomplished what we could not accomplish to turn things around. And he said, whoever looks to my son 
and believes in my son and who he is and what he has accomplished, I will not only receive their belief, but I will also put my son by his spirit in each one of my representatives who put their trust in me. And now, as it said, through the work of the Holy Spirit, he can now once again bear fruit and make us fruitful and flourishing once again in the everyday. You know how he does it? He does it by producing the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. He does all that stuff in our lives as we what? Pay attention to him. Jesus said, if you remain in me, like I'm already in you, but if you continue to believe and trust in me and you continue to gaze upon me and what I have done and who I am, then over time, you can just trust this. I will continue to transform you more and more into my likeness, more and more into my image. There's going to be days where you wonder if anything's changed. Keep going. Keep gazing upon me. Keep trusting me because I will work in your life that way. Years ago, I I tried to illustrate John 15 this way. I said, look, Jesus said in John 15 that if you abide in me, if you remain in me, if you keep looking to me, you will bear fruit. You will bear much fruit. This is to my father's glory. In fact, it'll be fruit that will last. People say, look, I know people that do all kinds of good things. Friends, the Bible says that if you and I do good things apart from God, they're like filthy rags. They will not last. They will not have the same vibrancy. I'm not against the good that's happening in the world. I'm grateful for any virtue I see in the world. But here's the thing. So if I get all caught up with whether or not the fruit's growing out on the end of my branches, I can't pay attention to Jesus. But if I pay attention to Jesus and I just respond and let him have his way in my life, fruit will come. There will be a different quality of my interactions with people. There'll be a different quality of the way I look at the world. And so let me say this. When I was a teenager, I did not want to yield to the Lord. Because I thought if I yielded to the Lord, my personality would get stunted. That some of my creativity, that I'd become more boring. And here's what I learned. Once I gave myself to Jesus, he activated my personality. He animated my life. He directed me in ways that I could have never imagined. He allowed me to cross paths and rub shoulders and rub off on people in ways I could never have imagined. And most of it, I don't even know because I'm just trying to pay attention to Jesus. And when I do, he creates and restores that image and likeness more in me than if I did it any other way. And so if you're following along, notice that Jesus Christ calls us to serve with his same attitude. Jesus Christ calls us to serve with his same attitude. You know, Jesus, when he came to earth as the image of God, he could have come as a mighty king and just made everybody else serve him. But what did he say to his disciples one day when he saw them all jockeying for position and trying to be important in their own eyes? He said, look, look, don't be like the rulers of this world who lord it over people. Because even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. My same attitude. Come on, come into situations where you look for ways to lift up, where you look for ways to serve, where you look for ways to help other people be encouraged. That's my attitude. That's how I want you to rule with God in this world. Be respectful. Show that kind of honor to people. It's powerful. So where are you at today? It's not enough to know this. You and I know that. And by the way, 
I, I just need to tell you, in case I stand up here, talk about God's word. Do I, do I ever struggle with all this? Mm-hmm. Almost every day. I'm not trying to be dramatic. Like before studying this, I just got to tell you, I've been so discouraged with some of my same behavior 45 years later after meeting Jesus. Still, he hasn't completely restored us yet. And so as I was meditating on, you know, those words, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Here's how I applied it this week. I am fearfully and wonderfully redeemed. Oh, I needed to hear that. Because in Jesus, in Jesus, I am fearfully and wonderfully redeemed. And he who began a good work in me and in you promises to carry it on to completion. And I cannot wait till the day that I will see his face. Because he promises and he never breaks his word. And so here's the question. You want to see some of my artwork? I know some of you have just been amazed in the past by my artwork. Uh, you can tell I can't even draw a straight line. But the point is, is that if you take the storyline here, there's creation and the fall on the left side of the cross. And then Jesus came. Jesus landed on our planet. And by his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, he has come to redeem and restore what has been lost. He has come to redeem the image and likeness of God in you and me. And therefore, everyone who looks to him and puts their trust in him, who takes their mirror and looks to him, he will not only save, but begin that redeeming work. So the question is, are you living on the left side of the cross or the right side of the cross? And the question I have in the notes is this, have I yielded myself to Jesus Christ to partner with him? Have I yielded myself to Jesus Christ to partner with him? Because when you and I do that, everything, everything, whatever we do, we can do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. My dad used to end almost all of his sermons by saying, will you yield to the Lord? And I hated that question because I did not want to yield to the Lord. But I realized that if I would, and then my mother started coming along and saying to me, she still says it to me, Jeff, stay yielded. Because when you and I are yielded, all of a sudden now his image in us gets activated and animated like no other way. But it, it only comes through surrender. It only comes through cooperation and humbling ourselves. Have you done that? Have you received what only he can do in your life? Because if you have, you're on your way. And there'll be bumps, but he'll help us. So we're going to take communion. And as you do, before I say anything about communion, would you bow your head and just say, God, what do you want me to take away today? What do you want me to know? What do you want me to think about? Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.